welcome, welcome. Hey, my name's Kyle, and I'm one of the worship leaders here. If you would stand and worship with us tonight, we are excited to lift high the name of Jesus. Let's sing about him. How are you? Good. Sunshine and spring weather is here. And they, they're, they're killing daylight savings time. Did you hear about that? Like we just had the last time change ever in the history of America. That's amazing. Hey, if you didn't grab uh, on your way in, feel free to go grab one now. We're actually going to be taking communion tonight uh, as a community. And so make sure you have the elements uh, as we enter uh, into the practice of Lord's Supper and uh, you've probably seen a few of these floating around, yeah? If you got one, go ahead, hold it up for me. Let's see it, eh? A few, yeah, beautiful. We uh, actually, tonight, will be starting a new series in the book of John. And I mean, just imagine if you had the opportunity to talk to one of Jesus' closest friends and hear from firsthand experience about his life on the day today, wouldn't you wanna listen to that friend for a while? And so it is with the book of John that, that we'll start uh, tonight, but our hope is this is actually a resource, not uh, one for you personally, that there's incredible reading. So come in this room on Saturdays, hear God's word, and then go read more about it throughout your week, as well as if you're in a small group, a community group, a cell group, 
There's some discussion guides in here that are really great questions, whether that's for you and the family to ask with one another or with that community group or new friends that you're welcoming into your homes and into your small groups. It's an incredible resource. So it's $7 for a copy out in the foyer if you haven't gotten one. There's also a a PDF version. So for free, if you just wanna be able to have it online accessible to you, you can find that through that link. And uh, also, one of the things we wanted to do uh, tonight is to let you know that we want to be a church that takes very seriously what's happening in the world and to actually pursue biblical justice in that place. And so we have, uh, for going on in Ukraine and disaster relief, this is something regularly that when we have disasters in our world, we want to be a church that not just talks about it, but actually can, can do something about it. And so if you feel so led as to join in, this is uh, partnering with some organizations and people, this is just throwing money at people. Uh, This is actually putting boots on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, It's a great opportunity to step in and serve. And how about some spring weather, amen? My allergies are already starting, but I'll take it. It's cool. Uh, We have some awesome things happening as we enter into the spring season here at Mosaic. One is that we got some spring break trips going on. So if you're a student going on a spring break trip, would you stand? Yeah. Can we give these friends a round of applause? Beautiful. Beautiful. They... uh, We have a wide variety. We got some students going out west, uh, some of them to go be serving on the streets and homeless communities to learn from organizations there to bring it back and practice here. We got some going up east into New York, uh, some going just to simply listen to God with one another and to create a, a time and a space for these students to get away from school and to rest in the Lord's presence together. And we have some serving here, even in our backyard in Northwest Arkansas. And so if you see a student uh, tonight on your way out, be sure to give them a high five or a hug. And uh, we're really excited to hear some of the stories uh, that God's gonna do in this week. Next, uh, we also, some of our ladies uh, have a really beautiful thing. So if you're a woman uh, looking for a place to go connect and grow deeper with some other women, uh, our ladies are putting together a Passover Seder dinner. And so they're actually gonna walk through the biblical story together. Childcare and a meal will be provided And it's going to be an experience of walking through the story as we enter into the Easter season of what that Passover meal would have been like when Jesus sat with his disciples. So you can follow that link and register. And then this one uh, is one that's near and dear to my heart, but more importantly, it's near and dear to Jerry Dudley. Is he in here? Come on up, Jerry Dudley. And uh, we have what's going to be our men's retreat. And so Uh, This is an incredible opportunity for us guys to get out in the woods alone with some fishing poles. Uh, We're gonna have some trail running, a lot of awesome things. And it's a way for us as men to take a break from work in the house and just to be able to get together and grow deep with one another. And uh, it's funny because in our culture, so often men don't really like to do things face to face, kind of prefer to do things side to side. And so whether that's fishing or whether that's running or whether that's Frisbee, hopefully it's gonna be a turn for you as a man where you're gonna be able to have some other men who know you and see you and and you're able to dive deep with them. So Jerry, let's say um, I've never gone on a men's retreat and I think, maybe I could go, but I I mean, it'd be easier to stay home and I, I don't know if I really should commit to it. What would you say to the man asking that tonight? Well, I'd say first of all, can you hear? Yeah, you can hear me. First of all, this is not a elders retreat. This is not a deacons retreat. This is a men's retreat. Okay, <laughs> so we're going over to the corner of North Fork and White River, over at Mountain Home, south of Mountain Home, ways, and we're going to have Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning, three times spiritual encounter. But uh, on Saturday is the big deal. Uh, we fish, we kayak, we canoe, we ride bikes, we do whatever you want to do. It's going to be there for you. Uh, and then the, 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 the big thing for the whole weekend, though, is the food, okay? Ooh. We've got professional cooks that we picked out of our group. They're really not professionals, but they know how to cook. <laughs> so anyway, they're going to come over, and they're going to do two breakfasts for us. We have another guy that's going to do some smoked meat, and he's coming to do sandwiches at lunch. Come on. But the, the big thing of the weekend is we do a fish fry after we get done fishing, okay? Yeah. And we fish, fry fish, hush puppies, french fries for... We'll just cook till everybody's done, and then we cook some more and give it to the dock hands. So, yeah, there, there is plenty of reasons to come, but most of all, this year, our, our theme of the whole weekend is going to be coming, becoming a fisher of men. Hmm. 
And guys, I tell you what, there is no greater thrill in all the world to lead a friend or someone to Christ. Mm. And that's what we're going to teach you how to do this weekend. Yeah. So come on, have a good time, learn a little bit, yeah. and be blessed. Registration's open, men, and there are limited uh, places. So please sign up quick. Well, you're going to pray for us, right? I, didn't know that. I don't want that yet. I wasn't in the room where they were. I was out there. So if you follow that link. Yeah. And uh, Jerry, as we step back into a time of worship, would you pray for us as yeah. we enter that space? Sure. Father God, thank you for the food. I thank you for the food. <laughs> you know where my heart is, brother. I'm already there. <laughs> Been there for months. <laughs> Father, thank you for this group of people gathered in this room tonight. Thank you, God, for calling in his leadership. Father, thank you for the time that you give us here to be together, to uh, worship and to learn from you. God, I pray you'd bless Colin and what he does now. Uh, bless Nick and his sermon. God, just minister to us and through us for the next few moments of time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Would you stand and worship as we sing about the faithful word of our God? and sing this. Your word stands firm, age to age forevermore. When the glory of our Lord comes to rest on earth, making all things new as you promised you would do. Your word stands firm. Amen. Let's get
continue in our worship as we pray over our offering tonight that we just gave. Can we read this aloud together? It'll be on the screen. Oh Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, and rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we could give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. Let's continue to worship. Sing this with me. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain that I could not climb. And in desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. This is good news, let's remember. And through the darkness, your loving kindness, it tore through the shadows of my soul. And the work is finished. And the end is written, O oh, Jesus Christ, in my living hope. And who could imagine so great a mercy? And what heart could fathom such boundless grace? Church. The cross has spoken, and I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. And beautiful Savior, oh, I'm yours forever. Yes, Jesus Christ, my living. Let's sing in response tonight, church.
don't take that lightly, that you truly are our living hope and we believe that. Lord, that you rose from the grave and you are living even now amongst us through your Holy Spirit. God, what a gift it is. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in your name, amen. Would you remain standing for the reading of the word of the Lord? Good evening, y'all. I'm Sue Dudley, and I'm part of the Mosaic Community Team staff, and I'll be reading scripture tonight. John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen. Thank you. So the last three weeks, we talked about who we are as a church, what we're all about, what we're going after together. And we said, essentially, if we were to boil it down, the purpose of our church is to help people become more like Jesus. That, that we are a family of people who love and follow Jesus, want to be like Jesus, and help others be like Jesus. So in light of this theme, in light of this mission and purpose, one of the most important things we can do is find out what Jesus is like. So we're going to spend the next five months looking at the person of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we're just going to be doing a deep dive on who he is, what he's all about, what he understood his purpose to be, and, and from that, learn how we become more like him. So as we, as we dive into John over the next several months, we're not going to be taking um, the approach that we often take, which is just to start at chapter one and work our way straight through. We're actually going to take a little bit more of a thematic look at the Gospel of John. John has a, a unique way of telling the story about Jesus. If you were to make a, a table of contents for the other three Gospels, the, uh, there's four books in the New Testament that tell the story of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you were to make an outline of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would see that their outlines all look really similar. They bring different details and different elements of focus to the table, but they tell the story in the same way. John organizes his information in a totally different way to draw attention to different things. They're all telling the same truth about Jesus. They're just drawing attention in different ways. And there's a neat thing that John does. His opening, ver his opening words of his gospel say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. This is how he introduces people to Jesus. And he uses this phrase, in the beginning. Now, we'll do a little Bible quiz here. Anybody know what other book of the Bible starts with the words, in the beginning? Genesis, yeah. In fact, that's on purpose. John is trying to connect Jesus, the person who was born in Bethlehem, back to the God who created everything. He's saying Jesus didn't really begin in Bethlehem. That wasn't the start of his story. In fact, Jesus was already there in the beginning. So John wants us to see this bigger picture of who Jesus is. And so he starts with this cue about in the beginning. And I'm just going to nerd out on some literary stuff for a minute. Hang with me. As soon as in Genesis, it starts with in the beginning, God created. It then goes on and describes God's activity over a certain period of time. Does anybody remember in Genesis chapter one? How, what amount of time is that describing? It's a week, seven days. Okay, so John plays with this theme of seven days. If God is the creator and he creates everything beautifully in seven days, that's a picture of the completeness of God's work. John, as a literary master craftsman, has woven these sevens throughout his gospel, showing who Jesus is through collections of sevens. And so we're going to spend the next 21 weeks looking at three sets of seven in the gospel of John. We're going to look at seven statements that Jesus said about himself. There are these seven times that Jesus says, I am fill in the blank and describes himself in a way that we're to take a picture. And then there are seven miracles that are described as signs pointing to who Jesus is. And then there are seven significant encounters where Jesus has an encounter with a person, and Jesus speaks into that person's life in a way that shows us what it looks like to meet Jesus. 
So over the next 21 weeks, we're gonna look at these three sets of seven. And so we're starting tonight with the I am statement. So if you have your John book already with you, you're welcome to run out there and grab one if you need to real quick. I encourage you, bring those on Saturday nights if you want and take notes in them and do the readings throughout the week. Um, generally, the way, the way it works is we're gonna um, start, you're, we'll preach a sermon on the week and then you have a series of seven daily readings to work through during that week to keep us in the word, growing, walking through the life of Jesus together and then some discussion questions to guide small groups to walk through that. The seven I am statements that we start with, we get these seven statements about the person of Jesus. Um, so the first one is he's gonna describe himself as the bread of life and then the light of the world. Jesus is gonna describe himself as a door, a good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, and the true vine. Each of these pictures of who Jesus is is gonna help us understand in a bigger way what he's all about. But all 21 weeks of the series, in fact, the entire gospel of John has one driving purpose. And John is not mysterious about his purpose at all. In John chapter 20, he tells us exactly what he's up to. Take a look at John chapter 20, what John says. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So point being, there's a ton of stuff John could have written about, but he chose to tell us the things he chose to tell us with a very particular purpose in mind. He said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Seven statements about who Jesus is. Seven miracles that Jesus performed. Seven encounters that people had with Jesus. All purposefully chosen by John to drive home one point. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you have life. Let's jump into the Gospel of John together. Lord, we pray that as we look at who you are, as we look at Jesus, um, that you will give us a more clear picture of who you are. And Lord, that that will not just end in a kind of newly cool level of Bible knowledge, um, that we, while there's all kinds of artistic beauty and, and neat things in how this book is constructed, Lord, if we walk away without seeing that you Jesus are the Messiah, the Son of God. If we walk away without growing faith in you that brings life, we will have missed the purpose of this entire study. So God, I pray that your spirit will be at work in each of us and that we'll be transformed by what we encounter in your word. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you would, please turn with me to John chapter six and we're gonna start in verse 25. And in John chapter 6, verse 25, we read, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Okay, so we're jumping in the middle of a story. Um, what we've missed at this point is what's just happened is Jesus has miraculously fed a huge crowd of 5,000 people and sent his disciples on the other side, and then he walked on the water to get there. So the reason they're puzzled with how he got there is he didn't leave in the boat with everyone else. So this is a, a little hint and illusion um, that, that there's something going on even mysterious here. They're, they're puzzled. Whoa, when did you show up? Where'd you come from? And as the reader, we know exactly how he got there at this point. So they're asking the question, hey, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, verse 26, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Okay, so the point is this. Jesus has just done this incredible thing where he has miraculously fed a huge crowd. And the next day, he sees all these people and they're all excited. They've been looking for him. Oh, where'd you come from? And Jesus is calling them out. Do um, you ever have that person who kind of doesn't seem to be socially aware enough not to point out things that we don't want to have noticed? Um, Jesus seems to have been that person in every crowd. Like he doesn't seem ready to play the social games. He's just gonna go like straight to the point. I mean, this is a pretty socially awkward moment. Oh, Jesus, when did you get here? You're not looking at me, looking for me. 
because you've learned anything. You just want me to feed you again. And suddenly there's really awkward silence in the room. But there's a point to what he's saying here that, that we need to take a moment and recognize. And it has to do with this word sign. The word sign is the word that John is going to use to describe the miracles that Jesus does. Now think about what's the purpose of a sign? Why do we have road signs? To give direction, to show you where you're going. Signs point to something. Okay? I love Disney World. Like, I am one of those Disney adults. I, I think I like Disney World more than my child does. I get, like, I, we do a Disney World trip. I love it. And then as soon as we get home, I start planning the next Disney trip. I love it. I have seriously, probably every two years, I put together a plan to move to Orlando just so I can have the Florida resident season pass. That's my entire purpose is to get there for Disney World year-round. I love it. And I mean, when, when I'm driving into Disney World and I go under that sign where dreams come true, like my heart just starts fluttering because I know it's true. That is what happens there. Okay, I love going to that place. But can you imagine if I made the trip, booked the rooms, paid the money, drove to the sign and pointed and said, there it is. This is amazing. Let's go get some other people and show them this sign. And I just kept making trips over and over again to point to that amazing Disney World sign. And I told him how great that sign was and says, you've got to come see the sign. It tells us that Disney World's where dreams come true. Can you believe that? How awesome is that? And I never actually went into the park. That would be absurd. Jesus is saying, that's, that's what you all are doing. When you have seen this miracle, the purpose of me feeding you all was to teach you something about me. You came back to see me do another miracle. You thought it was so cool that I fed you all, and so you're back to get more bread. You've completely missed the point. You see, we have a tendency, I don't know if you've ever thought this way, but I have always thought if only I could see God do an incredible miracle in my life, then my faith would be complete. And you know what's amazing? As soon as God does something amazing in my life, I just wanna see him do it again and do it again, and do it again. And what Jesus is saying, what he's teaching us about these signs is that their purpose is to bring people to him. How backwards is it for people to come to the one the sign was pointing to and say, can you give us another sign? He says, no, no, no. The purpose of the sign was to get you to me. To come back to me and ask for another sign is silly. You've already arrived. You're already in the park. You don't need a sign telling you where the park is. You've arrived. When you get to Jesus, you have gotten to the purpose the signs were pointing to. So for them to stand in front of him, having seen the sign that told him who he was, and asking him to give another sign, he's completely missed the point. So he's explaining to him, you're coming not because you understood the sign, but just because you wanted more food. You want more bread. That's an even lower level of motivation not only are they wanting more sign, they don't even care about the miraculous sign, they just want food again. They're just coming back for another meal. And he says, do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So what Jesus is doing is he's trying to elevate their vision towards something bigger. They had an incredible experience. He provided food for them. It was awesome. And he says, you're back for more food. Don't work for something as mundane as everyday food. You can get that anywhere. There's something deeper you need. And he's gonna go to un on to unpack that. But we need to pause here and acknowledge a misstep that oftentimes Christians have made based on this. They've concluded, because Jesus says, don't work for bread that spoils, but for something higher Oh, so it, giving people food and meeting material needs doesn't matter. What really matters is spiritual things. I have a family member um, who, and she was in her early 20s, was waiting tables, trying to make it, and five minutes before close, a huge church group comes in, and she's the last server there. 
So she just takes a deep breath and says, all right, let's do this thing. Works her tail off serving this loud, excited church group, takes care of them way later than she intended to stay. They pay their check and leave and she's cleaning up and she sees a folded piece of paper on the table and her heart lifts because she knows there's gonna be the tip, the payoff for the hard work. And she opens up the paper and it says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Anybody's blood boiling just a little bit? Okay, this, this is an absurd twist that people have put on what Jesus is saying here. That because there is something so much higher that he's calling us to, therefore the simple things of everyday life don't matter. Let's think about this as a parent. What if as a parent, I said, my sole job as a parent, I almost went down there, that could have been really bad. What if I said, my sole job as a parent is just to keep my child fed and clothed? That's it. If she's fed and clothed, I win. And so for 18 years, I keep her fed and clothed, and then I kick her out of the house. How many of you think that is way too low of a vision for parenting? Okay, so let's imagine I have a much bigger vision for parenting. Does that mean I no longer have a responsibility to keep her fed and clothed? No, of course not. Of course not. In fact, keeping her fed and clothed is an essential thing that I'm going to need to do in order to care for her and reach this much higher vision that parenting calls us to. Similarly, and this is gonna be repeated throughout the New Testament, to say I have spiritual good news to give you and I'm gonna ignore the fact that you're starving? To say I have spiritual good news to give you but I'm gonna ignore your big medical needs betrays the good news that we're telling people. Jesus is not saying that everyday needs of people's lives don't matter, only focus on spiritual things. He's warning us against getting so caught up in the everyday things that we ignore the spiritual things. He's warning us against only living for our urgent needs and never getting around to dealing with the more important, deeper needs. Does this make sense? Okay, we'll, we'll continue forward as he continues to, to unpack this for us. So he, he elevates their vision, says don't live for just food. Seek something higher. And then they ask the question, they ask him, what must we do to do the work God requires? This is a typical thing that happens when people have conversations with Jesus. They seize on something he says and totally miss the point. He says, don't work for food that spoils. His point is, what are you living for? And they hear the word work and they go, okay, so what work do we have to do? Not at all what he was trying to draw attention to, but they've asked the question now, okay, so what is the work we should have to do? He's trying to draw the attention to what they should be working for. And they ask the question, okay, so what kind of work do we do? And he answers, he graciously answers their question. Uh, these are people that are coming out of a, an, an environment where they have been focused on trying to do the work of God. In the first century, Israel has been under Roman rule and they understand that this is not how things should be. They should be living under the freedom of God and their nation and there was a lively debate among all the Jews of that day, what have we done wrong? What do we need to do differently so that God will rescue us? So they're looking to Jesus saying, okay, what is the answer? Like if you say God wants to bless us, what do we need to do? What is the work? Look at Jesus' answer. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This is a radical transformation of everything they've been expecting. Jesus just summarized the entire purpose of faith, the entire purpose that God calls his people to is not a particular work not a particular kind of obedience, not a particular Sabbath keeping or circumcision or food laws, all the things that they had been practicing, all of those had their place. But he says, you wanna know what the work is that God requires? To believe the one he sent. And so, again, they have another question. 
So what sign will you give that we may see and believe you? Wait, are you serious? Like literally yesterday, he miraculously fed 5,000 of them. And they go, okay, so prove it. Why should we trust you? And then they say in verse 31, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're now pointing back to this story that they know from their Old Testament that when they were in the desert for 40 years, in between Egypt and the promised land, God gave them manna and fed them. What's going on here? Like what, what about what Jesus just did isn't enough for them that they're asking for another? Well, possibly it's the fact that Moses fed them for 40 years straight. So it seems like they're saying, okay, that was really cool that you did it once. Moses did it for 40 years, what do you got? And so they're asking him, hey, if you really are ready to tell us that trusting you is a greater thing than keeping all the rules Moses did, then give us something better than Moses gave us. If you're really saying that you're ready to come in and say that what you have to say is more important than what he had to say, prove it. Moses gave us bread from heaven. And then in 32, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Now right here, by Jesus saying, it's not Moses, it's my father, Jesus is now claiming to be one step closer to God than Moses was. Now we're gonna find out as this goes forward just how much closer he was than Moses was. But he's now saying he has a greater intimacy, a greater closeness with God who gives the bread than Moses did. Hey, Moses didn't give you anything, he says. Moses was just a human messenger. My father's who gave you the bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. I mean, he's like, he's playing on their heartstrings right now. He's saying, no, I'm actually closer to the one who gave you that bread. And he's like, okay, okay, great, so give it to us. If you claim you can give it to us, give it to us. And here's the shocker, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This whole time, he has been trying to elevate their focus above this simple food to fill their belly that will only last a day. And now he's describing there is a kind of bread that will sustain and give you life and never run out. They haven't picked up on the fact that he's working with a metaphor here. And so finally, he, he gives the mic drop moment and says, I am the bread. I am what God has sent you to give you life. And this is gonna launch into a teaching where Jesus is going to drill down and explain the heart of the purpose for which he came. Verse 36, but as I told you, you've all seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Hey, pause. Have you ever wanted to know God's will in your life? Have you ever thought that would be really awesome if God told you his purposes? Anytime Jesus says this is the will of God, we should lean in. This is gonna be good. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is now pointing to what makes this bread so much more significant. Every kind of sustenance they could have would run out. Every kind of sustenance would leave them wanting for more. But at some point, their very lives will end. The, the current death rate is still 100% last time I checked. 
It's coming for everyone. And Jesus says, there is life in me that not even death will overcome. Everyone who looks on me, the Father will raise up at the last day. We see this phrase, eternal life. And when we talk about eternal life, there tends to be like this really big pendulum swing back and forth in how we talk about it. The word eternal, it's, it's, it's a word that means eon or age. And what, what theology had been teaching up to this point was that we lived in an age that was broken and filled with sin. And there would come an age where God would fix everything and break it, or fix everything and heal it. He would put everything back the way it should be. This is the, the age that gets described as the kingdom of God, when God reigns and he heals everything. And so what theology taught was that when that new day came, God was gonna raise all of those who were in him to life, to live in this new age. And that life would never end. So this life is described as eternal life, life of the resurrection, life of the, the age to come. But the other interesting thing that Jesus is saying is he's promising that whoever believes in him has eternal life now. Not just life that starts at the resurrection. So here's where the pendulum swing comes in. We'll have a season where the church in general will talk so much about the life to come, about going to heaven when you die and being with Jesus, that we leave almost nothing to say about life today. It becomes, trust Jesus, get your ticket to heaven, and then when you die, something awesome's gonna happen. And then we'll pendulum swing way over to the other side and we'll say, it's not about what happens to you when you die. Faith is about life today. Quit worrying so much about what happens when you die and focus on life today. Both of those extremes miss the beauty of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, there is a life to come where God is gonna set everything straight, make everything right, resurrect everyone in him, to eternal life. And by the way, you can start tasting that life today. It's the both and that Jesus is offering that is so beautiful. And he is throwing this invitation out to everyone. And there is an interesting mix of both an exclusive and inclusive claim here. It's inclusive in the sense that Jesus is saying this message is for anyone. Anyone who comes to Jesus and has faith will be included in this new life. But it's exclusive because he's saying only those who come to Jesus will have this new life. He is saying the source of this life is completely in him. Now he's speaking to a group of people who've just been fed in a miraculous way and they're hungry again and they're looking for a bite to eat. And he's challenging them to not be so overcome by their immediate need that they miss their deeper need. And it's really easy for me sitting here, looking at them, to look down my nose at them and go, how can you miss it? And all it takes is me missing one meal to be right back there. Let's be honest, when I'm physically hungry, I'm not concerned about anything on earth but getting food. I can become a grouchy jerk so fast when my needs aren't met. But this extends to a much bigger picture of life, right? I mean, the idea of the urgent over the important is something we face every single day. Um, I've got a friend who, who works in the medical community, and he's been talking about this problem that everyone's trying to figure out. They've done these studies. These studies have been replicated over and over again. What leads to health? and longevity in life. And what, do you know what percentage of it happens at a doctor's office or in medical care? 20%. 20% of what determines your long-term health is stuff you get from healthcare providers. And yet, and yet, anyone wanna guess where the majority of our spending goes on healthy living? It's all healthcare providers. And by the way, I'm not knocking doctors in the room. My guess is anyone in the medical profession in here would beg people to pay attention to this. In fact, we pro this probably isn't surprising to anyone, right? We all probably know this is true, and yet 
we all experience, I so readily experience the tyranny of the urgent. You ask me to think about my cardiovascular health and the need for exercise, I've been dragging my feet for 10 years to deal with that problem. And yet, if I tripped and broke my wrist, how fast would I be to the ER? Instantly. Now, what is actually maybe a bigger threat to my life? A hairline fracture in my wrist or heart health? And yet the urgent pain screams and demands my attention and the deeper problem can so easily be ignored and put off. Jesus is drawing people's attention to their deeper need, even if it doesn't scream at them every day. Even if the absence of God in their life is buried deep away, something that we know is probably true, but man, the urgent things can grab our attention so much louder and more regularly. And please know that I am the first offender here. I mean, I am full-time paid to be spiritual. And yet, do you know how many Mondays I will come to an office and have meetings about how to worship God, how to teach the Bible, and how to help people grow spiritually. I'll have a lunch appointment where I talk about somebody's spiritual growth and how to help them grow in the Lord. And I will drive home at the end of the day and go, I've not talked to God or even acknowledged that he exists once today. So don't hear this coming from somebody who's got it figured out or doesn't struggle. It is so incredibly hard for me among the list of emails to respond to, appointments to catch up on, tasks to get done, to recognize my need to pause and receive life from Jesus. Because if I'm honest, I can go a very long time without being with Jesus before things get desperate. And there have been times in my life where that desperation is strong, where I've recognized something happens that draws my attention to how much I need Jesus, and suddenly I'm like amazingly disciplined at prayer. Like I'm on my knees crying out to the Lord because the crisis is so big. My awareness of my need for him is so incredibly strong. And in those moments, I will tell myself, this is how I should be like with Jesus all the time. I'm never going back to ignoring him. (laughs) And then as soon as the crisis has passed, the urgency begins to crowd out. And what I think Jesus is inviting us to is to choose what is most truly, eternally important. To recognize by faith that Jesus is the source of life. And so, as we figure out what does this look like for our church family, there's two sides to this. If you think about a a marriage, a, a marriage has both a clear beginning point and an ongoing health, right? There's a moment where you make a commitment and say, I'm committed to you and we're starting this relationship. And it doesn't end there. You then have a relationship to nurture for the rest of your life. Similarly, in our relationship to Jesus, there is a moment where we choose, I'm trusting him. I'm turning from doing things my own way and I'm looking to Jesus in faith. I want to invite anyone in the room that if you've not had that moment of turning, if you've not had that moment where you recognize that Jesus is life. Make that choice tonight. We're gonna pray in a moment. I'm gonna invite you to pray that prayer. And for those of us who, we have trusted Jesus. He's our savior. But if you're anything like me, and you can make it long ways into your days, weeks, and months even without spending time with him, I'm gonna ask you to do something really practical tonight. Would you take a minute And think about your week this week and ask the question, what would it take to spend 10 minutes a day going to Jesus to receive life? That looks like spending just a few minutes 
reading the scriptures, your John guide would be an excellent way to do that if you don't even know where to begin. Reading the scriptures and talking to Jesus every day about your life and about how you need him. What would it look like to choose to set aside 10 minutes a day? If you're like me and you are super distracted and that's really hard, can I give you an awesome resource? There's a little app called Lectio 365 that has been an amazing help for me on those days where I just feel so scattered, I don't have a hope. It will sit there and guide you through 10 minutes with the Lord. Passages to read, something to reflect on, and some guided prayers. As a practical way to acknowledge that Jesus is life, what would it look like if we as a church family chose this week and in the following weeks and throughout even this entire series, in all the urgency, I know there's a lot of urgent things going on. What would it look like to recognize with 10 minutes a day our need to go to Jesus for life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm excited to spend the next few months just learning about who you are. And Lord, I acknowledge the truth that you are the life that God gives. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now who is feeling called for the first time to acknowledge you as the source of life, to put their faith in you. Lord, I invite them to to pray with us now. We acknowledge that Jesus is the one whom you have sent to bring life to the world. So Lord, we trust you. We turn from doing things our own way. And we trust in you to be the one who carries us. We give our lives to you, to follow you, to be changed by you. And we look with hope to the day when you will lift us up. And Lord, we want to nurture that life every day going forward. You are the bread of life. And we trust in you.
Take a moment just to process that.
say it, can we posture ourselves as we take communion? As we join Jesus in this time, we take the body, break the bread, this body broken for us, take it eat. as a symbol of the blood that was shed for us. Take and drink. Amen, church. What a gift it is to be together tonight, worshiping and learning about the life of Christ. And as we prepare our hearts to go, I'd love to let you know that if you need prayer, we have the prayer team available. They'll be on the sides. They'll have white badges and uh, would love to meet with you and connect with you. And if you'd love to connect with one of our community pastors, we'll have pastors out in the, uh, the info booth and they'd love to get to know you more and get you plugged in as needed. Let's say this together as we prepare our hearts to go. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. See you next week, church.